BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Sif Heider, the founder of Array. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life or starting a successful business or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. So let's get right into it. Hello, 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 guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Dream Bigger podcast. I am really stoked for today's episode because it was very real, very raw, and I always appreciate conversations with guests who are able to be vulnerable, and it is something I really, really admire about today's guest, who is, of course, Whitney Port. Now, if you're not familiar with Whitney Port, she is a television personality, fashion designer, and author. She starred in The Hills and then went on to have her own show called The City, which is actually a show that I used to watch right when I started my career. And so this was a very full circle moment, I feel. Whitney is awesome. She is essentially like after her life on reality TV show, she went on right now, like over the last couple of years to found her um, clothing line called Cozy Co. And prior to Cozy Co, she had another clothing line, which she actually shut down. And we're going to get into this whole thing, but, um, she was very vulnerable, very honest, very raw. And I think it's a really, really great episode for anyone who's looking to kind of look behind the scenes for reality TV and what the implications are and what life is like, and then going on to found a business. So the episode really goes all over the place. I so appreciate Whitney. She was very vulnerable and I really, really loved chatting with her. Before we get into the show though, I do want to give you guys a couple of updates. So if you're new here, you probably, I don't know if you saw, like my last episode was on the fact that I had breast reduction. So for anyone who is tuning in again and wants an update, I'm just going to give you guys a quick update on how things are going. So right now I am over two weeks post-op and guys, I am feeling really, really good. I'm like recovery has been obviously extremely smooth, which I discussed in the last episode, but I'm feeling really good. Um, you know, back to being myself, like walking loads. I'm still not cleared to work out, but I'm walking like loads and loads, like 12,000 to 15,000 steps every day. I have a lot of energy again, definitely back to work full force. 
and I can finally wear regular clothes, which has been honestly a dream after wearing sweats for two weeks. It's just not like me. I love to get dressed. I like to, you know, like dress up, look nice, whatever. And I'm just not the type of person who wears sweats all day. So I'm very appreciative of the fact that I am back to being able to wear regular clothes. And guys, let me tell you, going from having 28 G sized boobs to, you know, regular sized boobs, I'm like a D right now. It is a world of a difference when it comes to the options that you have when it comes to clothing. Like I cannot believe you guys have all been living like this, being able to wear whatever. So, you know, I've definitely been shopping. I have been wearing all of the things that I could not wear ahead of this. I actually wore a tube top for the first time in my whole life um, this last weekend. And let me tell you, it was liberating. So that is my little breast reduction update. Um, I'm feeling really good and just very, very grateful. Now, this week's hot tip is actually something that really helped me during my recovery, which I, I actually spoke about in the last episode, but it is bone broth. Now, this is something that is and like, you know, you guys can make it at home or buy it in store or whatever. But of course, bone broth has a ton of benefits, um, including the fact that it is anti-inflammatory and really, really good for the immune system. So as I've been recovering, I've been having a cup of bone broth every single day. I haven't been able to make mine. I just buy it from Erewhon. And then I add half a lemon and a little bit of organic sriracha. And guys, it is delicious. It is such a great snack. It is just like an easy source of protein and just so, so so good for you. So highly recommend, you know, adding bone broth to your daily routine. I used to make it at home really like, like very easily. I would essentially just put like, um, chicken bones and, or beef bones, whatever, and like a bunch of vegetables in a pot and leave it to kind of simmer for a very long time. Usually I'd do like 36 hours. And I, I always like, this was like one of my favorite things to drink at home. I just haven't been able to make it just because I've been obviously pretty incapacitated because of the surgery, but buying it is also a really great option. So highly, highly recommend. Last thing, let's talk about this week's review. It comes to us from N. Turcott and she says, obsessed. I love this podcast. Sif is so intentional with her questions and has curated such a beautiful selection of guests to bring on. There has not been one single episode that I have not loved. You can see how genuine she is and I always leave feeling motivated and inspired. Thank you. Well, and Turcotte, thank you so much for this review. And guys, you know, if you do have a second, I would so, so appreciate if you left me a review. Honestly, it helps the show grow so much. And more importantly, I just love hearing from you. I like to hear what episodes are resonating because it helps me bring on the kind of guests you really like. It helps me kind of tailor my solos to, um, topics which you're fond of. So let me know what you think. If you don't know how to leave a review, essentially all you have to do is open the Apple podcast app, um, scroll down to where it says rate and leave a review. And that's where you do it. That's where the magic happens. And if you're new here, I'm also doing a giveaway. Essentially, if you leave me a review, take a screenshot of it because it disappears into the ether sometimes. Um, take a screenshot of it, send it to my email, sifat.h91 at gmail.com. I'm going to leave it in the show notes. So once you send me that review, I go ahead and send you a journaling prompts worksheet, which I have been like I created and I've been using in my own journaling journey. And it is really, really helpful. I think you guys will love it. So yeah, if you leave me a review, you 
get that right away. So with that, let's welcome Whitney Port to the Dream Bigger podcast. So the first question that I always ask my guests is, what was your big dream when you were growing up? Oh my gosh. I mean, I had so many different ones, but to be perfectly honest, I always really loved performing. Like I grew up being a dancer. Mm. I grew up, remember, I remember seeing like Julia Roberts win an Academy Award in like that black and white Valentino dress and being like, that's going to be me someday. But I actually, I never really wanted to be an actress. There was just something about like performing that felt comfortable for me. And then I also had the fashion aspect of my life because my dad was in manufacturing. And so I like grew up working for him. And so I think for myself, like, I feel like I just envision myself doing something that combined the both, which yeah. feels like it's exactly what I'm doing. Yeah, something I'm gonna where, like that really worked out, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And like, there's so many more things that I want to do. But I do think that the part of me that's winning out is like the creative part of me, the part where I'm feeling like I want to create and design like that feels what is really truly me and like the performing less as much. Maybe that's just because I'm getting older. But yeah, I do feel like a little bit of those combined is what I'm doing. So how did you land up on the hills? Yeah. So, okay. So like, knowing that you'd think that then I would try to be on TV or like that that would be a goal of mine and it totally wasn't. So really, yeah, it totally wasn't. So I grew up in Los Angeles. I went to school in Colorado for like a year and a half and I was like, this is not for me. I need to get back to Los Angeles. Like I need to be doing something in fashion. Mm -hmm. So I applied back to SC and I got an internship at uh, Women's Wear Daily for a summer. And I heard- Sick internship, I gotta say. Oh my goodness. Unbelievable <laughs> internship, like worked under Melissa Magsaysay, say, shout out to her who's doing great things now. But I worked under the West Coast fashion editor of Women's Wear Daily and was really like in charge of the closet for all the photo shoots we were doing. Anyways, I found out one day that Teen Vogue that was like the floor above us was looking for interns. And so I walked up there and I gave them my resume and they were like, we're looking for interns, but you have to feel comfortable on camera because we're actually starting to film a TV show with a network. And like, we're looking for people that are interested in fashion, but also would be interested in being on a TV show. And I was like, okay, maybe like, Mm -hmm. why not? Who knows? So I, I end up getting like a call from MTV. I give them my information. I get a call from MTV. I do a casting tape with them. Sorry if this is like too long of a story. No, no, this is so, cause listen, This is very foreign to me, but I remember, so I've never been like someone who watches a ton of reality TV. I did watch The City. It's actually one of the only shows that I've ever watched, but I remember it was really good. (laughs) Okay. It was great. But I remember when I was in university, all of my friends were talking about the Hills. So it's like, it's just interesting because I know literally nothing about it. And I'm sure a lot of the audience is also super curious, but yeah. Yeah. So then they, they called you. So they called me, I did a casting tape with them. They called me back. They were like, okay, we want you to come for your first on-camera interview at Teen Vogue with the West Coast editor of Teen Vogue, which was Lisa Love. So wait, you had to interview for a job on On camera. Okay, that's truly the most, like it's worse. Like it's bad enough. So bad. I was freaking out, freaking out. And like, I also just had no idea what I was doing. Like, I didn't know what the show was. I didn't know what, like, I just, it was so new and fresh, but 
reality TV wasn't as, wasn't like what it is now. So I was kind of just more open to it. Like if someone to me now was like, would you want to do this for a reality TV show? I'd be like, no, whatever. But so I'm waiting in the waiting room and for my, me to be called in for my interview and in comes Lauren Conrad, who Mm. I had watched on Laguna Beach. So Mm. like I knew who she was. Mm -hmm. So she walks in and then it clicks in my head and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm on Lauren Conrad's spinoff show. Like this, uh, this is crazy. So like it kind of clicked to me what I was doing. And then I did the interview. I totally like watching it now back. You should totally watch it. I totally am going to. (laughs) or like put in an embarrassing clip in this episode or something. But like watching it back, I did not do a good job. Like I, uh, I, I was so naive, but they, I think MTV had pretty much like already cast me for the job, for the role. And then the, like the rest is history. Like I just became Lauren's, you know, confidant and coworker at Teen Vogue while I was still going to school at USC. Like I still had two and a half years left at USC. How do I ask my boss for a raise? I'm so jealous of my coworker's promotion. I just don't know what to do. Is there a good way to brag about my accomplishments? Careers are complicated and there are so many hush-hush topics we're told we can't talk about. That's why you have the Career Contessa podcast. I'm your host, Laura McGoodwin, and each week I'm joined by experts to help you overcome your workplace woes with actionable advice that you can use today. Subscribe to the Career Contessa podcast and make progress in your career every Tuesday. So then when you did get cast for this or you knew what was happening, was it your goal to like become friends with her or like was it kind of maneuvered that way? Like what actually goes on? Yeah. So I had zero goals. I was just like, I'm going to be me. Like I, I also had a boyfriend at the time that really was not interested in being on the show. So I didn't really care that much about like being on the show more or like being, becoming close with her or like, you know, Mm -hmm. I just, I wanted to focus on work and I looked at it as like a career opportunity and I wasn't focused on, on like, I don't know, the show aspect of it. And Lauren and I just happened to get along in that way. And also the producers would tell you, like you'd walk into the office and there would be a team of producers there and they would be like, Lauren had a crazy night last night, you know, like just ask her what happened, ask her how it went. And so Mm, they'd give you like a little bit of a guidance. And then Lauren and I ended up just having like a natural rapport and connection. And I became like her go-to for kind of recapping stuff. And yeah. So then What's what do you think is the difference between reality TV then and reality TV now? Because, you know, you said that like back then you were really open to it and right now you may not be like, what's the difference? Yeah, I just think that in order to make a good reality TV show now that is like, you know, interesting that you have to kind of be willing to share everything and be open to kind of like being filmed all the time and be open to all that exposure and that judgment. And I just don't think that that something that I would be willing to do. Like, I feel like the show that I was on, it was just totally different. We were able to kind of, I don't know, social media was different. We weren't opened up to the world, like to all the opinions that, you know, like Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff like didn't exist. So 
when we were watching stuff, well, like when everybody was watching our show, there wasn't a place then that people were commenting or giving their opinion on. So we could be more like, I don't know, just in our own world. Mm-hmm. Now with reality TV, you put everything out there. And I just don't want to do that. Like I still want to have control. And I can't even imagine like being, you know, someone who's like on the younger side, because you guys were like pretty young yeah, when you went I was on like 20 when I started. Yeah. And yeah. so like, take that and like mm-hmm. put it into like what reality TV and social media is today. Like I can't even imagine like being so publicly out there open to people's opinions people are so mean and it's it's wild I know I it's it's hard people sometimes ask me like would I let my son do it and I'm like honestly I I would hope that he wouldn't want to and urge him not to just because of what it has become and don't get me wrong like I love it and I watch it and Timmy and I like make reaction videos about reality TV like I love it it's mm-hmm. just not for me I just don't think that necessarily always like does the most beneficial things to people's like characters yeah, I don't know I can especially imagine. when you're so young and impressionable but yeah so Talk to me about what happened when you went on this show. Like, how did it impact your life when it started taking off? Like, did you have these moments where you're like, oh my God, no, this is like a big deal? Yeah. I mean, I would say around like the third season is when I started realizing that it was like a big deal. I think that really the moment that sticks out in my head was when we got asked to do the cover of Rolling Stone, like the four girls from the hills. And I was like, oh, whoa, like this is kind of major. And I don't know, but I still, I still was so, I still had such a life of my own, like super close with my family. Like I said, still in school, really had like a little like shell around me that I, I just felt like protected and I wasn't absorbed by it. But yeah, Mm -hmm. I remember that moment being like, whoa, that's insanity. Yeah. So I want to talk to you about the impact that reality TV has on relationships. Like, did you notice that, I don't know, like some relationships were like more strained because of that or like, what was the impact of like just relationships in general because of that? Like with the people on, that I was on, on the show Yeah, with? on the show and even outside if it had any impact at all. I mean, it definitely does. I guess for me, the this most recent filming of The Hills New Beginnings was more like that. I can speak to that a little bit more, especially because mm-hmm. social media is a thing now. I think that The hard part is, is like, you just never know, obviously, who you can trust. Like, you don't know what people's motives are. So it's really hard to form real relationships with people on a TV show. And then it's hard to go into TV shows with real relationships because I think that they can get impacted by other things, like by making dramatic moments and like ratings and all these things that are needed to make a successful show. Like, people's motives make them do, but like, you know, tricky thing. So I don't know. Like, I think it's really hard to have. I think it, it it all depends on the dynamic. Like the Kardashians, obviously, they're all best friends and sisters and like will kind of get through anything, I feel. Mm-hmm. But I do think that reality TV definitely tests relationships more than they should be tested. So then are things written in to be like more dramatic just for like I guess, viewership. Yeah, I mean, they are not necessarily written in, but the producers will like prompt, you know, storylines and want you to kind of like bring up things or, you know, share things that you know or 
yeah, like you're definitely getting a little bit of a push towards doing something mm-hmm. that you wouldn't, I mean, at least in my experience, that yeah. you wouldn't necessarily naturally do because the goal is to make a dramatic, a successful, yeah. su- successful, like juicy TV show. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, I, I, like I said, I love it. It just doesn't align with who I am now. However, I love that I did it when I was 20 and I love my experience and I have zero regrets and I feel like it was exactly what I was meant to do. Yeah. So then talk to me about what happened after The Hills ended. Like, like what, what was going on in your life? Like talk to me about life after that whole chapter. Yeah. So after The Hills was then the city for me. And so that was crazy. Like that was obviously, I did not think that that was ever going to happen when the producer came to me and was like, would you want your own spinoff? And I was like, what? Seriously? And I really had to think about that. And so there was two years in New York filming the city. And you got a job with DVF, right? Yes. So, so like, again, like, was it just something that you're like you kind of got cast for or was it that like you really like that was the job you wanted all your life? I mean, (laughs) like they knew that I wanted to work for a designer in New York. Yeah. Um, They knew that I had dreams of moving to New York and working in a fashion house, but they, but I didn't, it wasn't necessarily like me targeting it. They, I think they, you know, producers essentially, not only are they producing a show, but they were kind of like producing my life in a way too. Mm -hmm. So it was really cool because I was getting to have all these opportunities that I otherwise wouldn't have. And like, they were helping me find my apartment and like, it was so, it was like such a produced life, but it was so cool that then I think after when when we finished filming The City, that's when I think I had like a little bit of a culture shock of like, oh my God, now like I'm kind of the maker of my destiny. And I had like a little bit of what am I supposed to do now kind of a thing. So then what did you do? Like, So luckily for me, I had already built Whitney Eve, which was my clothing line. And I had started that while we were filming The City. And so I had that. And that was really always the goal was to be able to build a business beyond the TV show. And I think that's now what we're all trying to do as well. Like we, at least for me, I can say I I don't necessarily want to be like on social media forever, like sharing every little thing, right? Like I think that there are other things I'd love to be doing with my time, but I, so I, I would like to be able to, my goal's always been to be able to create something that exists beyond that, like you with your company, right? Like something that you're really passionate about that you think is like doing a service to someone. And I, so I had a little bit of that mentality in me when I was filming The City. So I did Whitney, I had Whitney Eve and I did that for a while, like maybe eight years. Wow. I know it was a long time. And we launched it in the recession in 2008. And it was really hard. It was really, really hard. But we went through ups and downs. And the thing what we didn't have, again, social media to be selling the product. And so I've always thought like how different different the business would have been had I launched it now. I mean, and now I I have Cozy Co, but that's a totally different brand. But yeah, so I, I just started designing and I just started like pouring everything into Whitney Eve. And then my dad passed away in so 2013. Sorry. And then there was a whole shift there. It's just like, you know, I think with our 
our lives, we, for me at least, you have to be flexible to all those different phases. But the thing that's carried me through is like always kind of having a backup plan for, you know, when things eventually end or doors close. You were working with your dad on Whitney Eve, right? Yeah. You guys were working together. Yeah. Yeah. How did that impact you? Like losing, I guess, like such an integral part of your business. It was so hard. It was so hard. Those were the hardest, obviously, years of my life. Like I wasn't only losing my dad. I was also losing essentially like this business that my family had built. Like my dad helped me launch it. My brother was production manager. Paige, who works here now, was like, basically, we always called her the boss's boss because she was like my boss. She was always just, she was managing everything from kind of like my career, especially after my dad passed away to like the brand. And then it was me. And so, yeah, when my dad passed away, I felt like a really immense amount of responsibility to like take care of my family and to continue doing it. But it ended up being just too hard for me emotionally. And I had, I had to close the door on that. And that was really career-wise, like the hardest thing that has ever happened to me just because it was so personal. And I'm sure one of the hardest things that's happened to my family too. And then, you know, losing my dad has been immense in, in so many ways. I mean, him not being able to see so many things, but also like he, you have to think about for anybody that has lost someone like for me, I'll always ask myself continually, like, what would he say? How would he answer? What would he tell me? And I think that that's how you can, like, let their spirit live on mm-hmm. and let them, like, guide you in certain things. And he guided me a lot in work. And so when with work stuff, whenever that comes up, I'm like, how would my dad, like, direct me? And that has helped. How, like, for anyone who's gone through, like, like you know, such a difficult thing, mm-hmm. how do you how do you kind of deal with grief while still kind of functioning as like a, like an adult and a human being? Yeah. It's really hard. All I can say is as cliche as it sounds, but it's because it's true is that time really does make the pain like hit you less and less. I think that when like the pain and sadness comes, it hits you as hard and it's like as unreal as when you first found out or were dealing with it. But I think as time goes on, it just becomes less and less a part of like your brain space and you fill your life with so many other things. And yeah, it's, it comes up in so many different ways and it sometimes can put like a little bit of a gray tint on things. But I think also it's given me a different perspective on like really just leading this life Mm -hmm. to the fullest and also how he would really want me to be leading it. That's yeah. I mean, it's beautiful that you think like that. What was the, like, what made you decide that you wanted to close the doors on Whitney Eve? Like what was that whole process? Like, because it's really, I think it's a very difficult thing to let an idea kind of for like something that you're working on, like die essentially, you know? Yeah. It was really, really hard. Basically what was happening was I think that we were all just struggling with our own personal grief and the loss of our father. And I think that that was interfering with, with the company growing. And I think that we were in a place to like give up a lot of power of the company. And I was like, oh my God, this just doesn't feel right. Like my gut doesn't 
feel right. I can just feel it. I just know that if I release this, that it would be like kind of best for all of us. And so I think what's most important for people is if they're ever in a place like that to really, truly listen to your gut and to not think about like the momentary discomfort that you're going to feel. Because really what I was feeling was like, I don't want to disappoint my family and I don't want to disappoint my dad. Like that was what I was being faced with. And then I was like, you know what? They're, they're going, going to understand. And I just, I knew that they were all capable of like doing bigger and better things too. I just, it just felt like, yeah. So it's just listening to your gut. I read this book. Have you heard of Naval? He's okay. You should look into him because he's like, he's really smart. It's like a blend of like his whole ideology. He's like a very successful entrepreneur, investor, and like a a book that's basically like all his quotes, interviews, et cetera. It's called The Almanac of Naval. And it's like, it's full of so much wisdom. But something that he says is hard decisions, easy life, easy decisions, hard life. And it's like such an example of that where, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you could just keep going for sure, you know, and I guess it's, it was probably the most straightforward decision and like least complicated or like least painful at that period. Like the path of least resistance. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But like, you have to recognize that and be aware when that's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think like listening to your gut, mm-hmm. it's it's so incredibly important, even if like something is so hard to do in the moment. It's so true. So after you closed the doors on that, like were you already on social media? Did you already have your YouTube channel or like what was next for you? So I was on social media. I was just starting to build that. And then after that happened, basically with timing, like I was planning a wedding. And then I got pregnant. And that's when we started I Love My Baby But. And that was our series on YouTube, which was all about obviously the real or what I felt like my real feelings were about pregnancy and really being open and honest about that. And that I think is what then placed me into this arena of like building a community for women who could really be vulnerable and not afraid to share their like deepest, darkest darkest secrets about being pregnant, postpartum, their body, whatever it is that they were like dealing with. And and I didn't know going into it that it was going to become a space of that. But that is what has essentially then like built everything that I'm working on now. What gave you the courage to share that part of motherhood? Because it was actually like it, it, it like just I, I think that the, the vulnerability and the ability to talk about such a difficult topic, especially because mom shame is like a real thing. People yeah, are just gnarly for sure. So wh- why did you even decide to share it? And like what kind of prompted that? Honestly, it was really my husband, Timmy, who's a producer. I think his producer head was just going off and I was like complaining to him and sharing with him all this stuff. And he was like, we should just film you talking about this. Like, because if you feel like this, I feel like there are other people out there that probably feel like this too. So let's just like film you doing, like talking about it. And the first episode is me like in my bed in a robe, like eating yogurt, totally feeling disgusting. And I think that that's what... (laughs) people really at first responded to was that it wasn't like this whole produced thing. It was really what was going on. And it was Timmy behind the camera and someone that I really feel comfortable opening up to. And so it was like a real raw look into what was happening, which I think was just beginning to happen at that time, you know, especially for social media. It was like people were just starting 
to realize that social media wasn't for just like pretty filters and pictures. It was for like all the garbage shit that we deal with yeah, every day. Exactly. <laughs> and like, I don't want to, it's hard. Cause after that, after I was done with that series, I was just like, honestly, it was maybe when Sunny was two or something. I'm like, I don't, I just don't feel like complaining about stuff anymore, you know? And so I don't, I never wanted to become like that kind of a thing where it was just like, I was looking for all the bad stuff, mm-hmm. but it is like pregnancy and postpartum stuff is real. And I wanted there to be a home for people to talk about that stuff. So I want to talk about mom shame and the crazy people out there who think it's okay to like give their opinion completely unsolicited. Yeah. How did you deal with that? Because I feel like I've spoken to my friends who are moms as well about this. And it's interesting because I think that we can be really thick skinned when it comes to like trolls making comments about, you know, our looks or how we conduct ourselves or our careers. But it's almost like different when it's to do with like how you're being a mom, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I feel like I haven't gotten that much shit, but I do remember like when Sunny, when we let Sunny's hair grow, people made some annoying comments about that, about him having long hair. And that's when I was just like, like, don't talk about how my kid looks or like, you know, I got protective and upset and it made me feel like resentful towards the whole thing. But for the most part, like I, I, I feel like I, we have a pretty supportive community. That's amazing. Know? Yeah. Do you feel like it's like that outside of social media as well? Or do you feel like people are like kind of mean? I think that let's I mean, I think. Yes, I feel like it's hard. I go back and forth. Like sometimes I do feel this level of, of like judgment. That's not so in your face, like passive judgment with just like moms in the city. But for the most part, I, I have been like pleasantly surprised about like the moms that I've met and how open people are. And I think that it has to do with maybe quarantine and getting fresh perspective on things. Like, I don't know. I've been pleasantly surprised about a lot of the women that, and the new moms that I'm meeting. That's amazing. Yeah. That's like so, so good to hear because like, I know it can be like clicky as well. And it's like, I think just an ugly side of things, but it's nice that you found like the support that you want to have as a mom as well, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't like, for me, I don't really require that much. Like I just don't really, I feel like I talk about stuff so much sometimes on social media where I like then don't feel the need to just Mm -hmm. vent about stuff. But, but yeah, I do also feel like I've, because of quarantine and because of the age of my kid, I've been, I haven't been able to meet a lot of new people too, Mm -hmm. because like the school is completely closed off and we can only drop them off outside and there's no events. And so like, I don't even really know the kids in Sunny's class or like their parents or anything. Such a different time. That's been weird too. Yeah. I mean, maybe the moms are really judgmental (laughs) and clicking. I don't even know them. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? It yeah, worked out for the best. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, it's fine. I can handle. So what inspired you to start Cozy Co? Because I mean, after kind of like losing one fashion line, yeah. I mean, 
I'm sure some people would be closed off to like starting another business sort of in the same categories. Like what happened? And tell everyone about Cozy Co. So it was basically like the middle of quarantine. And I was obviously just seeing a need for people wearing like loungy, cute, comfortable stuff. And I wanted to, to design that and make it like organic and essential. I wanted to make sure that every piece was something that could be styled in many different ways and take you from season to season and be something that lives in your closet forever, but that the fabric is completely organic and everything is sustainable and like produced in an eco-friendly way. And I was just like, this is the time to do it. So it's been interesting just because now people are like not necessarily wanting to dress as like loungy or sweat centric as we have been. So it's all about like pivoting and adjusting and styling and marketing and like figuring out how to constantly like be on top of making sure that your company is like evolving with the times. But yeah, I I just like... I really wanted to be creating again. Like I felt like that was really when I was my happiest and I had a really great production partner. There's this company called Avalon, like founded by women and I'm doing my Rent the Runway collaboration with them too. We're actually, yeah, launching a spring season soon. And so I was doing my production, my collection with them and we just worked so well together and I believed in like their whole like the ethics of their business and everything. And so we just started this company and it's been going for a year now. And it's hard. Like first year is really hard. First year is always so gnarly. And you like really question yourself. You're like, is this like, should I really be doing this? Like, is this, you know, there's always things go wrong. Of course, always. And like, there's elements of the environment that make it harder, obviously, with like, you know, production and shipping and COVID and everything. But then there's also just things that make any company like there's just pain points. And yeah, it's been a really interesting growing challenge for me as like a a collaborator and a leader, like seeing myself in a different way. It's been a really cool experience. It's really interesting when you are kind of building a new business. I feel like the first year you get like, you're like emotionally attached to things and like things just feel really like upsetting. Yes. But like, I think after a while in order to continue to scale the business, I think you almost have to leave that behind. Like at least in in our case, like Nish yeah. and I try to be very stoic when it comes to Array just mm-hmm. because it's like, it can literally like take the life out of you when something right. goes wrong, I you know? know, and it's so hard. And yeah. I remember like first year, it's like a learning curve and mm-hmm. things would go wrong and it felt like so just gut-wrenching mm-hmm. and we'd be like upset about it. But now I'm just like, you know, I feel like you're just going to be handed shit all day long. Of course. Every other day. You know what I mean? Like there's <laughs> never going to be a job where there's not challenges. And it's just like the same as what you said before. Anything worth having comes with hard work. Mm-hmm. So it's like why should, we can't expect to have everything just be like 75 degrees and sunny all the time. Like, oh that's my just God. not life. And then that's Life isn't not, LA. Right. No, it's not. <laughs> and that's why we live here because that's like the one thing that feels controlled. <laughs> It's true. It's actually true. (laughs) So I want to talk about evolution because I think that, you know, based on this conversation and obviously like whatever I've seen of you, Mm -hmm. you have evolved really 
nicely because like you knew when to say goodbye to you know a brand when it wasn't working mm-hmm. you you knew when to like end a series when mm-hmm. it just wasn't serving you in the same way mm-hmm. so what advice can you give to people about evolution kind of not being afraid to change direction and also keeping up with what's going on yeah i think that it's kind of like exactly what we said it's kind of releasing control and like following your passion and seeing it through but really releasing that con- that control and like being able to move through things and be flexible you know like I think life is so much about being flexible and realize if obviously COVID and quarantine and everything hasn't has taught us anything it's that we just we don't have control of a lot so I think it's really knowing that and managing that and I think it's also like not being scared of the nose you know like knowing that people are going to like say no or not have the same belief in something that you do and and kind of to expect those but not to let those like really overcome what you're trying to do. Yeah. I think you have to get so comfortable with hearing no. And I think that just, and it's not even if you were like starting your own business or you want to be a personality on social, like it's, it's nothing to do with that. I Mm -hmm. think that in order to succeed in life, you just have to stop taking no so personally, Mm -hmm. because I think people get scared of hearing no. So they don't try things. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like such a, it's such a deterrent, you know? I agree. I agree. And I think it's also so much about like being uniquely you and like really tuning into your voice and what you want to say and kind of shutting out the noise too. Cause there is so much noise, you know, like sometimes I really think about unfollowing everyone on my Instagram just so that I'm not being somehow subconsciously like, persuaded some way to do something like I just create based on like what my vision is or or also just don't want to live my life based on like what I'm seeing out there I want to base my base my life like on my true self what I really really want so yeah I think that was a whole kind of like convoluted way of saying like really really be you like really do you because like no one else is you. And if you continue to believe in yourself, I think that other people eventually see that. I love that. And it's a good place to end the convo. Yeah. <laughs> so tell everyone where they can find you. Yes. Yes. So I'm Whitney Eve Port on Instagram. My clothing line is shopcozyco.com. And my YouTube, just look up my name, Whitney Port. And then my podcast is here with Dear Media and it's called With Wit. Amazing. So, Thank yeah. you so much, Whitney. This Thank was awesome. you. That was so fun. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It takes five seconds and really helps the show grow so I can keep bringing on awesome guests. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram at Sif And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I drop new episodes every Tuesday, so come hang with me and shoot the shit with some really smart people, learn and unlearn, and have a lot of fun. See you next week.